I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there, welcome to the Stock Club Podcast. I'm James, and joining me on today's show is Anne-Marie and Rory from my Wall Street Investing team. Today, we're talking about Shopify and TikTok teaming up to form an e-commerce supergroup, why Peloton and Zoom have had such tough earning calls recently, and Anne-Marie and Rory both give me the 30-second pitches for companies they're researching at the moment, Dexcom and Weber. So we were actually supposed to start recording this podcast about 30 minutes ago, but Rory, you sent a frantic message into our Slack channel before we started saying that you had been delayed at the vets and we had to push the recording out by half an hour. What happened and has it been resolved? Um, Yeah, it's, I suppose it's been resolved. All I will say is never agree to cats it is... Um the lesson I've learned over the last 24 hours. I think we need to hear more than that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the listeners of this show deserve more than never agree to cats it. Uh, well, my sister's, my sister's on holidays at the moment, so I'm minding her two cats, one of which decided to get a bit ill yesterday. So the last 24 hours have been me both minding and paying for a sick cat who is now better by the looks of things. Well, Fingers that's... Crossed. That's a nice. It's a nice end to the story. I bet you you're <laughs> frantically researching uh, publicly listed cat sitting companies now, <laughs> or I even lemonade. Yeah. They, they do pet insurance, don't they? At one point, at one point, there was talk of a cat X-ray happening, and I was like, "God, who who sells cat X-rays? Because that, <laughs> that is a serious business. That is a niche industry. But cats love getting into small places, so it's probably not that <laughs> hard to put them into an X-ray. It was like more expensive than an, a human X-ray. I don't know where they come up with these figures, but anyway, we didn't have to do an X-ray in there. You could just imagine the vet being like, "How much for a cat X-ray?" It's like eh, that's a, that sounds like that's like it sounds like something someone will pay. Um, so let's get into I suppose more serious topics then um, and this first story when I was writing the notes for it earlier it kind of reminded me of a joke I don't know if anyone has heard of the Irish comedian David O'Doherty before but he used to make a joke in his set a few years ago that he was writing an autobiography but in order to sell more units he was going to call it Harry Potter and the Da Vinci book of Sudoku this story is about <laughs> TikTok and Shopify probably two of the most talked about companies in recent years and definitely two companies that make people's ears prick up when they hear them so last week the social media company announced that it was expanding its partnership with Shopify soon it will start allowing its content creators to add new shop tabs to their TikTok profiles and essentially create mini storefronts on their profiles. Another new feature that's also been trialed by the two companies is allowing products to be tagged with product links in TikTok videos. This means that if a viewer clicks on one of these links, they'll be brought straight through to the merchant storefront for checkout. And re- TikTok and Shopify have actually been working together for almost a year, but these new announcements seems like a major ramping up of the e-commerce ambitions on what is arguably the world's most popular social network right now. What are your thoughts on this initially? Um, I think it's a really smart move by both players, by both TikTok and Shopify. I mean, studies predict that sales via social media apps are going to hit $50 billion by 2023. It's a huge industry. And if TikTok is the leading social media platform right now, it has to have some sort of um, e-commerce ability. But it it is also a reminder that like TikTok is very much in the early days of its monetization journey. It only began allowing advertisements on the platform last summer. And this was... uh, 
kind of controversial at the time because TikTok is is kind of known as a kind of an entertainment platform and people were worried that it was going to somehow disrupt the for you page which kind of naturally scrolls but in some ways i think their their use of advertisement has been kind of brilliant and and this partnership with Shopify really reminds me of the partnership Shopify has with Pinterest yeah. and like TikTok and Pinterest aren't exactly completely comparable Pinterest is such a leg up when it comes to e-commerce and marketing because people go there basically to make a aesthetic wish list of stuff they want to buy. So like what a great person to advertise to. But TikTok and Pinterest have this similar thing where they kind of have this aesthetic of authenticity or this aura of authenticity. And they're really, really careful to kind of curate this. When it launched its business program last summer, they said to advertisers, don't make ads, make TikToks. And they basically okay. told businesses to embrace the humor, the authenticity, the kind of you know, imperfect type of marketing that could take place on TikTok. And I think it's been really interesting to watch companies try and wade into this and try and kind of position themselves as being cool to a younger audience. One company that's actually excelled at this type of marketing is Ryanair, which is a budget, is an Irish budget airline for people from the United States. They fly very cheap flights kind of between European countries. And they're kind of famous on TikTok at the minute. Whoever is running their TikTok channel is brilliant. They've kind of leaned into this self-deprecating humor where they're like, yeah, it is annoying to walk to the plane. And and yeah, it is annoying that the food on board you have to pay for. And it is annoying, like the color scheme that we use. But you know what? We can get you to Italy for 40 euros. So it's kind of great. Yeah, I was just about to say it's very rich of Ryanair to be pointing out all the annoying parts of flying, seeing as they are usually the cause of every problem you have when you fly. Yeah, but people really, really like it. And now you have all these massive airlines like United and Delta trying to replicate this. And it just kind of isn't the same because it's it's a little bit fake. Like Ryanair got there first. Yeah. And Ryanair now has like 2 million followers on TikTok and they have 27 million likes, which is insane yeah. for an airline. But the reason it kind of works is because according to TikTok's global business marketing, companies like this are successful because what happens on TikTok is completely unique. Every day, people participating in campaigns build alongside them and even create their own TikToks for brands and products that they love. We frequently hear people say, I didn't even realize that was an ad. And that's the goal of TikTok. The work is so good. It fits right in. And this is the kind of opportunity that we're talking about with e-commerce. It's like Pinterest. If the advertising on TikTok is so good, if the e-commerce on TikTok can be so good, you don't even notice it. I think it has huge potential yeah and the other thing strikes me quite as at odds of the other main social player and probably the first kind of company to bring advertising into social media which is obviously facebook and you know from a personal perspective the advertising on facebook platform particularly is so awful and so clunky and then you look at something like twitter as well where you know their ad strategy just has not worked out for them in however many years they've been trying it it seems like the likes these this new breed of social companies like Pinterest and like TikTok have really learned what not to do and how to kind of make ads and advertising a more enjoyable experience for the people being advertised to. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think a lot of that has really been driven by younger generations. Gen Z is the most difficult generation to market and sell products to. This is known. Surveys have shown that they're the most likely to avoid ads. They skip them. They use ad blockers. They're less susceptible to influencer marketing when compared to millennials. And they prefer companies that are transparent and that are kind of upfront with their marketing. And I think because Gen Z has grown up with technology, they've grown up with social media, they're aware of the fact that 
part and parcel of social media is e-commerce and is advertising, but I think they're just a bit more immune to it. Like I think they've seen it now so much that they're like, oh, that's whatever. That just comes with this. And I think that's a really big concern for companies that are heavily reliant on digital channels for new customers and business. But I think if you can get a business that can master this kind of TikTok marketing, if you can get a couple more Ryanairs that are maybe selling products or services, I think the potential on TikTok is huge. And this is because it's kind of already working for the music industry. Yeah. So 80% of TikTok users say that they discover new music on the platform. And that is the number one place that they discover music. It's more than any other digital platform, any other streaming service, and any of their friends. And over half of that discovery happens naturally on the For You page, which is really important because it means that these, these teenagers and these young people, they're not following these artists. They're coming up naturally on their For You page. And once they've met these artists, a little under half of them will end up adding their song to their favorites or viewing the artist profile or even following the artist on TikTok, which is huge. That is considerable engagement. Imagine if we put out an ad and half of people who saw it ended up buying a product. And I know that like listening to a song or going to Spotify and streaming someone is not exactly comparable to buying a product, but that engagement is considerable. And you see this type of engagement converted outside of TikTok For example, 18-year-old singer Olivia Rodrigo, who is this huge viral sensation, when she was putting out her debut single, she used TikTok because she had already had an established presence on it. She was a little bit famous from a Disney Channel show, and she basically was trying to get people to creatively use the song. So she put out a couple videos of her dancing. She asked her fans to do the same. Within its first week of release, videos featuring her song had more than 1 billion views. And that same week, (laughs) she broke the Spotify record for the song with the most streams in a single day not once but twice that is incredible i was just and so happy to actually know who you were talking about i know there. but I, it's i felt like giving myself a pat in the back <laughs> and it's not even reserved for like huge viral young stars because if you guys remember like last year there was that viral video of that guy skateboarding to dreams yep. by Fleetwood mac when that went viral it ended up in the top 10 most streamed songs of the week on spotify which is crazy to think that young people are hearing the song and like it so much that they're willing to go to a secondary app to listen to it. And so I think if that engagement can be translated even just a little bit into e-commerce, and I would expect the impact to maybe be a little bit easier because you don't even have to push them now to a secondary app. You just need to get them to go to the shopping cart that will now be embedded in TikTok. I think it could have a huge potential. And I think it's a great move for TikTok. And I think it's a great move for Shopify. Yeah, absolutely. Let's look at the the other side then. So you spoke quite expansively at TikTok there. Unfortunately, they're a private company. So we, we can't really get a slice of that yet. But for Shopify, this is you know, one of multiple deals like this that Shopify has struck. You mentioned Pinterest. They've worked with Facebook on their Facebook shop platform before. How much of a big deal is this for Shopify? And and is this really the future for them continuing to pair up with third parties like this? Yeah, I definitely think it's the future for Shopify. I think like this is now the cutting edge of social media e-commerce. I think from an investor viewpoint, maybe some people will prefer Facebook because they've essentially built a closed ecosystem. And in the sense that in theory, a, a shop could be running a Facebook shop front, be using their ads and their analytics. And then Facebook also will handle the payment if the person buys that thing on Facebook. And then in theory, like a shopper could be using a Facebook wallet. So then kind of every part of that shopping experience and that payment is controlled by Facebook. Like that's a tremendous amount of revenue potential if you can control the entire thing. But that's not really taking into consideration the kind of 
the 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 fickle kind of way that people interact with social media yeah. where like facebook is now very much the social media of of your parents or your or your grandparents and and the customers and the people willing to buy and the people who are excited are on tiktok mm. so so while facebook might be attractive because it controls kind of every aspect of a customer journey i would much prefer Shopify because they have this flexibility to to be partnered up with TikTok today. Well, our, our next social media or entertainment company might pop up in five years. Well, then Shopify can partner up with them. So yeah, yeah I, I definitely like it. I think it's a great opportunity. And it seems to me it's very much a case of, you know, you might question why don't TikTok just, you know, develop this capability themselves, but it just seems to me that Shopify are the best in class for doing this. So rather than spend all that money on, on developing this, this e-commerce arm themselves, they may as well just go to the guys who do it best. Yeah, and it's definitely probably also a thing of speed. I think yeah. TikTok has probably noticed that they have momentum. And I think that it's people looking for products on TikTok, I think already happens. I mean, I'm on TikTok sometimes and I do see, you know, artists or, you know, small stores that are advertising their products by putting up cool TikToks. And then they just have like a link to their Etsy shop in their profile. Well, like think of how much better their engagement could be if with every viral TikTok of their products, they can just link the product directly to that video and you can just check out immediately. I think it cuts out a lot of middlemen and, and yeah, I think it's a great move for Shopify. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Really, really interesting story and one to definitely keep an eye on going forward. Um, so just earlier this week, it was actually announced here in Ireland that virtually all of our pandemic restrictions will be lifted by the end of October. So while we all might be celebrating these new freedoms we're getting back, there are a couple of companies in our shortlist that are probably wishing we'd go back to more lockdowns. I'm speaking, of course, about the likes of Zoom and Peloton, who have both been having a really, really rough time of it recently. Zoom is down close to 50% from its all-time highs reached last October, while Peloton has dropped closer to 40%. Rory, I can see you itching there to talk about Peloton, but I'm going to go to Zoom first. Is this just a case of tough comps year on year after the great year Zoom had last year? It's an earning season of difficult comps, definitely. And we're seeing it across across the board, not just with these two companies. Just as you were talking there, I just saw Viva Systems results came out and they just smashed everything away. And I think this, the stock is down like 10%. Yeah. Um, but going back to like last year to these, I suppose, the the, the stay-at-home plays, both these companies were, you know, in hyper growth mode. This this time last year, Zoom's revenue was up three hundred and sixty six percent. Peloton's revenue was up two hundred and thirty two percent. So of course, you know, the law of large numbers can kick in pretty severely yeah. when you're following kind of numbers like that. For Zoom, I thought it was a really strong quarter. Yeah, their revenue was up fifty four percent. It topped one billion for the first time ever. Um, it, it, you know, reading past the kind of headline figures, you definitely saw a little bit of a divergence between their kind of smaller customer base and their kind of large enterprise customers. So with large enterprise customers, you know, customers over 100,000k a year in AOR was up 131%. Fantastic. They had over half a million customers now with 10 employees or more. In that category, their net dollar retention was up, it was about 130%. And it um, would stri- sorry to interrupt, Rory, but it would strike me that you know going forward, that's the important category to focus on. You know, small customers, people, you know, joining Zoom quizzes and stuff like that, probably never made much revenue, but they made the figures look quite good over the past year. So going forward, yeah. obviously, Zoom's major area of opportunity is these big business clients in you know work from home workplaces or or hybrid work models or whatever you might call it. Yeah, I mean, look, but so uh, yeah, we we saw in the report as well. They kind of admitted to seeing some kind of heightened churn levels around those smaller customers. And I think that's probably expected, uh, you know, with the economy opening up, some businesses were returning to the office already. 
and perhaps thought they could kind of survive going forward without you know using the free version or maybe they've cut down the paid accounts to a couple of key employees that mm. that, that were working remotely but you know, on the flip side as you said the larger customers are the ones that really are going to drive this business forward we saw some really positive upselling related to the zoom phone which now has two million seats subscribed to that's a product that was only launched two years ago and um, zoom rooms was another kind of side of the business that's growing and I can kind of understand investor hesitation here because we know Zoom is not going to continue to grow at triple digit rates you know, mm. that it was in the lockdown environment. But I do think that's kind of very short thinking. You know, when we added Zoom to my Wall Street was before the pandemic ever existed. And back then we saw a huge opportunity for the business because of these kind of secular tailwinds that were already in place, the digital transformation and um, more flexible office environment companies kind of cutting down their carbon footprint by reducing business travel. All those tailwinds do continue to exist today. In fact, they've been, I mean, they've been pulled forward, no doubt, by the pandemic. But if you look at the larger picture, you see a business here which has great management, that has been able to scale unlike any business I've ever seen before in such a small time frame. And they're expanding from what is a real singular product and function into this kind of communications platform with, with big and winning these kind of really big contracts from legacy vendors. So I think there's still plenty to be excited about with this business. This reopening fear, I think actually could be an opportunity for investors. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's move on to Peloton then. And they've been in the news recently over product recalls. Is that the major issue we've seen at their recent earnings call or is there more to it? Um, I think the product recalls, yeah, look, they had, they had a bit of a, a few growing pains this year mm. after what was a very successful first year as a public company. Um, like I said, this time last year, their revenues were about 233%. This year, you know, wasn't as good. It was never going to be as good. We knew that. But they still grew digital fitness subscribers subscriptions in this quarter, 114%. They saw, sorry, that was that was connected fitness. That's the ones that are connected to the actual machines. Their digital subscriptions, which is just the app that people use on their phone for kind of yoga training, strength training, things like that. That was up 176%. Workouts were up 75% from this time last year with the average of about 19.9 workouts a month. Now, admittedly, that was slightly down on last year's figure, which I think was like 26 workouts per month. But again, you would expect that with the, mm. you know, there's a pent up demand for people to get back out, go see their friends again, go on a vacation that they probably missed this time last year. So we can kind of see that. And what I saw with Peloton's earnings was they're, they're starting to kind of guide for seasonality, right? So, I mean, the guidance for their upcoming quarter was a little soft. It was, about, it was 800 million. I think a lot of people were expecting closer to be closer to a billion dollars for the quarter. But looking forward, their full year guidance of 5.4 billion was above pretty much everyone's expectations. Yeah. So they're building in that seasonality back into their their projections. And you know, seasonality just went out the window in 2020. There wasn't any seasonality. It was like, just get me one of those bikes as soon <laughs> yeah. as you can get it. Get it. It was, get to the, get it it was one long season that lasted. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. This is like the missing year. Um, but, but another, and I suppose another big head, headline from Peloton's earnings was the fact that they're um, initiating this twenty percent price cut on their flagship bike. There was also kind of reports, and Peloton didn't say it exactly, but marketing costs are rising as well. And to me, this kind of sounds like the perfect storm for a, a big fat squeeze margin. What, what's your thoughts on this? Are you worried about this price cut? I've, uh, ever since the, I first started looking at this company, I've always considered it a subscription play. Mm. And the best way to increase your subscriptions is to get those bikes into people's homes. You know, if you are building a razor and blade model, your number one goal is to get the razor as cheap as possible so you can keep selling the blades. And that's exactly what they're doing. They, you know, 
and also this happens all the time with hardware businesses you the price of a product always decreases as time goes by yeah. and the company's releasing more premium products on the top end of the line so you know it's it's perfectly natural that they would be reducing the cost of these bikes in order to expand their serviceable market um yeah. I, I don't see it as a problem at all i think it's i didn't think it was going to happen quite as soon because they they had a price reduction uh, a couple of quarters ago but absolutely no problem on my end i think I, i'd like to see them getting the getting the price down and getting it into more homes it's still no announcement of them coming to ireland yet <laughs> there's a couple of there's a couple <laughs> of irish investors on financial twitter who all go when the hell are they going to bring these bikes here <laughs> we're tired it's looking at the charts we want to use the things yeah absolutely you, li- you live in hope rory you live in hope <laughs> um, before we move on to this week's mailbag let's just check in on some of the other things going on in my wall street at the moment so far this week we have an exclusive insight into the reality of apple's new changes to the app store rory you wrote that in my wall street we have a first look that researches if power school holdings is a good investment and marie that came from you we also have an updated report from mike on the reasons why we like atlassian Rory, we have a brand new stock of the month coming on Monday. Dare I ask for a preview or do you want to keep your cards close to your chest? No, no, no previews. <laughs> no previews. You, just, you just have to tune in for the full show. We're not good. Anne-Marie gave everything away last yeah. month, so we have to keep some stuff. Anne-Marie ruined it for everyone. <laughs> She's just giving out all, of, all the information. Okay, cool. Let's move on to Mailbag then. So... This week's question we got in, it's definitely one we've answered a couple of times before in Stock Club, but it's asked so frequently, I think it's worth revisiting again. So Mark wrote into us via email, and he asked that when you have some cash in your brokerage account ready to deploy, how do you know whether you add new stocks to your portfolio or just simply reinvest in positions you currently hold? I suppose this is a kind of question that, that's different for every investor, Rory, but to you, you know, how, how do you tackle this problem in your own personal portfolio, I suppose? Yeah, I feel like I've, I've given the straight answer to this a couple of times, so maybe I'm going to go a bit off piece this time. <laughs> I was thinking about it last night while I was cooking, and I'm, I I love cooking. It's my it's my second passion after investing, and I've uh, during the pandemic I certainly got got a, got into a bit of a bad habit of just ordering cookbooks. Amazon Prime didn't <laughs> didn't help matters either. I was reading one last night. It's by a guy called Fergus Henderson. Fergus Henderson is a UK chef who's very famous, not in the kind of Ramsey way. He's kind of got this kind of cult following because uh, he trained as an architect and then ended up opening a restaurant with no formal training whatsoever and won a Michelin star. And he was very, he was big into the kind of nose to tail movement of yeah. kind of used offcuts that most restaurateurs wouldn't use. But I, I was reading through his book and it's a brilliant book. It's the weirdest cookbook I've ever read because even though it's got loads of recipes, it's kind of much more about philosophy. Okay. It's about cooking and his kind of philosophy of cooking. And to that end, there's not really any measurements uh, in his recipes. Like he doesn't tell you how much of certain things to use. There's no real exact cooking times. There's not even real any kind of like oven temperature settings. He kind of says gently cook, you know, until until you feel like it's good or, you know, it's... it's <laughs> and, and I suppose it kind of... Um, presupposes a little bit of knowledge on the on the cook's part, but what what I found interesting about that book is that you know there's no real right way of cooking. Well, there's loads of wrong ways of cooking. We know that there's loads of rules of things you shouldn't do, but in terms of getting to the end product, which is a tasty plate of food, people have loads of different ways of going about it and yeah. loads of different styles. And when the question mark asked there. Like, I can't answer that for Mark. He, you know, he, only he can answer that. The When it comes to me adding a stock, I ha- so like, here, so let's go back to like the first principle rules, okay? The things you need to do to build a good portfolio. Know what companies you're investing in, okay? 
know, try and diversify so you're not over-reliant on one particular company, you're not over-reliant in one particular industry. So we say somewhere between six and 10 stocks. Uh, after that, you're kind of free to do what you want. Don't do too many because then you kind of get into that index fund realm where everything just kind of averages out. But when you want to add a new stock, if you see a company you like and you've done your due diligence and it's not and it's it's going to work for your portfolio, buy it. You know, yeah. And you don't have to buy it all at once as well. You can buy a little bit and see how it goes for a bit, you know, and build over time. There's not like there's no like signal that says this month you should add to your portfolio and this month you should add a new stock. It, I've gone through periods where it was like a year when I didn't add a new stock and then I, I added Peloton, Roku and Sea Limited all in one month yeah. because I just decided I liked those three companies at the time. I'd done my research and I, I wanted them in my portfolio. So it's that's that's the way it is. There's no, I can't give you a firm answer or a particularly right answer. There's really kind of no right answer there. Yeah. Okay, cool. Now, Mark, you asked a question about investing. You got a cooking lesson as well. So <laughs> I bet you didn't expect that. Um, thanks for that, Rory. So usually, well, for the last few episodes, we've been ending the podcast here. But back by popular demand, we're going to bring elevator pitches back into the end of the show. I'm going to start getting more strict on them, though. So you guys each have 30 seconds and that's it to, to give your elevator pitch. And Marie, Rory, the two companies you're pitching today are just simply ones that you're currently researching as potential additions to my Wall Street app. So, and Marie, Rory's been talking for a while. Let's hear you for 30 <laughs> seconds. Uh, what stock are you pitching us? Okay, I'm pitching Dexcom, which is a medical device company specializing in constant glucose monitoring, or CGM. They're vital for uh, type 1 diabetics and becoming more and more common for type 2 diabetics. But I'm actually interested in them to see what other type of wearable medical tech they can make for people who don't have diabetes. I think it could be a really nice long-term play. 20 seconds, Rory. <laughs> Finish with 10 seconds to spare. So, Rory, let's see. Can you I'll take those that? 10 seconds off Okay. <laughs> it doesn't work that uh, way. Uh, a company I'm looking at is Weber. It is the market leader in outdoor grilling equipment. Um, they, they're a company that just recently IPO'd along with one of their chief competitors, Traeger. What I like about the business is it's got a kind of global brand. They certainly had a very good 2020 and it looks like it's going to be a very, very good 2021. So I'm kind of looking to see whether it is a kind of IPO of opportunity or whether there's kind of some long-term value in this business. But I really like the brand. I love, you know, if you look on any review sites, Weber is the one that pretty much everyone points you towards and they seem to have a good management team as well. You went a few seconds over, but but you were in your flow, so I, I said I'd let you. It seems to me that that one of those companies might lead to the need for either a barbecuing company and a glucose monitoring company. So nice, some nice, uh, some nice synergies there. It's very food heavy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should start it. We should start a cooking podcast. I would love my to do my a advice podcast. is just no matter what it says in the packet, I'm putting it into the oven at 200 degrees, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's why you cook everything up so that's it from this week's stock club remember if you have any investing questions you want answered or elevator pitches you'd like to hear make sure to get in touch you can find us on twitter that's at my wall street hq tiktok that's at my wall street or simply just email us at pod at my wall that's p-o-d at my wall if you're a member of the my wall street community don't forget you can also contact us via the my wall street app don't forget to subscribe to Stock Club if you're enjoying the podcast and please leave a review or a rating for us on whatever platform you listen to us on. That's it for us here today. We'll talk to you next week. Happy investing.
My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tapiphone. 